Joshua 4, we're going to start in verse number 19. Um, verse number 19, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, Whether, When your children shall seek or ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us, even uh, until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, um, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, what we've already heard this morning in, in song, and thank you for the the singing brother ernie just gave to us thank you for the message in the song um i just pray that you would bless us this morning we've read your word lord feed us from it in christ's name amen so the passage that we just read um the section of scripture I, I'm, I'm gonna talk about it in a second uh too but i, I want to point your attention before you close your bibles don't close them but if, if you do just before you close them look at verse number nine it says joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day, uh, as of the writing of this uh, passage of Scripture. Um, we, we have the children of Israel on one side of the Jordan River, and in order to get into the promised land, in order to get into the land of promise, and in order to start conquering the land of promise that God had given to them that was going to be their inheritance, um, they, they, they needed to get across the Jordan. Um, and, and God had told through Moses before in Deuteronomy, he said, when y'all cross the Jordan, I want you to take some rocks from the middle of the Jordan River, like from the middle where only scuba divers uh, or complete idiots would, would swim because of the raging waters of the Jordan at that point. And I'll explain that to those of us who've seen the Jordan River today. Uh, it's not raging um, uh, today, but, but the, the, it, nobody's going to get to those rocks unless something miraculous happened. And so he told 12 men, one man from each tribe of Israel, and said, I want you, when we go through, you're going to pass by the Ark of the Covenant, which is standing right in the middle of the Jordan as the waters are held back. And I want you to grab a, a stone, and I want to put it on your shoulder, and I want you to carry it to the other side. And we're going to set them down there where we're in camp at Gilgal, and we're going to set up a memorial so that when your children ask, what mean these stones? You can tell them what these memorial stones mean, how that God provided and how God took care of us uh, in that place. Now, uh, we just got back from Israel a couple of weeks ago, and you're going to hear about Israel a lot um, from me, from Nathan, from Pastor, because honestly, you just, you can't not talk about it. It's not, it's, it's an amazing place. It's an amazing experience that we had when we were there. But when I went over there for the first time, 2017 was my first time going to Israel, and I had this idea, and I don't think it was mine originally, but I had this idea. I'm going to drink bottles of water, and I'm going to collapse them down and put them in my backpack. And everywhere that I went in Israel in 2017, I had empty water bottles. I got made fun of because they kind of squeak. When stuff pushes up against them, they're squeaky. So I like... I like made noise everywhere I went, and I promised it was the water bottles. But like, where, so I would go to a place and I would un, un, undo a water bottle and refill it up, and people would hear it. It would make just a noise, and they're like, ah, oh, Chad's getting water again. And I didn't care what people said. I was going to get water from Israel. And so everywhere we went, 
I would go to a place, if there was water there, and I would get water. First place I did it was in the Mediterranean Sea. We stopped on the first night in, uh, uh, in Netanya, and I went out to the Mediterranean Sea, and I was wearing shoes because I'm bright, and, uh, and, and I'm trying to beat the wave and jump back, and I, I kept from getting wet, but I ended up with sand in the water, and I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I have like a little bit of the Mediterranean, the sand from the beach. That's cool. So we went to a place called, uh, if, you're, if you're talking uh, like uh, Israelite, you would say uh, Binius Spring, but the Benias Spring, the headwaters of one of the rivers that feeds into the Jordan and ultimately feeds the Jordan River. And so I got water from there. And Dixie gave me these bottles, and they are not liquor. I've had several people ask me, and I'm kind of disappointed in you. Uh, no, gave me these bottles, these glass bottles, to put uh, the water from Israel in. And so they're actually in my classroom. I have the Benias Spring. I've got water from further down the Jordan River with the, with the mud in it. Uh, and it settled in the bottom, and my students would say, you remember how the Jordan is muddy? Yeah, this looks clean, and I will shake it up, and it's just cloudy, muddy water. Um, the Dead Sea, I've got water from the Dead Sea. So I, I use them as like, these are, hey, here's the water from the Benai Spring. This is, this is the place of Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And so I'm able to show them in, in illustrative purposes to show them water from the Holy Land. Uh, another thing that I like to do, and this isn't just in Israel, I'm just weird. Have y'all noticed that? Okay, Cindy just said, we know. Um, <laughs> so Mark is testifying. Uh, so uh, I'm weird. So everywhere I go here, even, if we go to a new place, like on vacation, uh, I, if I see a rock that, I'm like a three-year-old boy. If I see a rock that looks cool, I pick it up. I love rocks. I've done this my entire life. Mom will tell you that I have nearly ruined many a dryer because my pockets would be full of rocks. Um, I just love rocks. And so when we would go, when we were over in the Holy Land in 2017, while we were there, I was on a mission. Uh, I was on a mission to collect rocks while I was there. I'm going to pick up rocks from all the different locations. So I have here a piece of coral that washed up on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, this is not just an object or a, a, a show and tell, okay, guys? But it does feel like kindergarten right now. Here's a seashell that I got from the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and I've got this one here. I've got, I've got uh, this rock here, this red rock, uh, and it, it, if you touch it, it get, the dirt comes off on you. Um, this is from Caesarea Philippi, from, from that place where, where Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? And the disciples offered some choices, and, 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 and he said, Who do you say that I am personally? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promise, the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, and you are God's son, which makes you God. He makes this declaration, and Jesus said, uh, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Upon the rock that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. So I picked up a rock there. I picked up a bunch of rocks from there. And I would always make sure that I would leave the beaten path, because the rock that we're walking on, the gravel, was imported from China, and I don't want a, a Chinese rock. I want a rock from Israel, so sometimes I might have broken a couple of rules uh, to get to some of my rocks, but uh, I got them. Um, this rock here comes from, this is black, it's basalt. Uh, it is, it's from Caesarea, uh, I'm sorry, Caesarea, it's from Capernaum, from the place where Peter lived, Peter's mother-in-law lived, where Jesus lived for his three years of earthly ministry, stayed at Peter's house, in Capernaum. And so I picked up a rock there because you have these miracles that took place there. I mean, the rock doesn't have any healing properties. I joked with a couple of you this morning, this is not holy water, but if anybody wants to try to be healed, it's $1,595. No refunds if you don't get healed by it. But, uh, but in Caesarea, what, or, uh, what happened in, I'm sorry, in Capernaum, what happened there? 
We have a woman, a woman who's afflicted with an issue of blood for all these years, and, and all, she, all she could do was crawl at the feet of people and reach up and touch the hem of his garment, and the issue was dried up, the issue of blood. And Jesus said I, he, felt, he felt virtue come out of him, and he said, who touched me? The disciples were like, well, what are you talking about? Who touched you? We're in a whole crowd of people, Jesus. He knew, and she knew, and I love that where he turned around and looked at her, and he loved her. This woman who shouldn't have been in, in public, she shouldn't have been with society, and he looked at her, and what did he say to her? Daughter. He called her family right there, and, and, and he, he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. This, this rock is a reminder for me. It's a play, I, I remember this. I have this, this place, uh, Capernaum, I have this one uh, here. This is uh, as you're descending. Hosanna Road is what they call it now, but it's the road from Palm Sunday when Jesus is descending from the Mount of Olives to go across the Kidron Valley to ascend up to Jerusalem. And as he's coming down the road, I love this story. I love, we may even talk about this next Sunday. I'm not positive if that's where it's going to go. But, but the Pharisees, they're, they're, they're singing Hosanna save now, and they're praising and glorifying Jesus Christ, not fully understanding what's about to happen, but they think he's going to come in and set up his kingdom. And, and the Pharisees said, will you, will you tell them to be quiet? Would you, would, you, would you? They rebuked Jesus. The same word rebuke is used when Jesus rebuked a storm. You know what happens when he rebukes a storm? It has to stop. And they said to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. Tell them to shut up. You realize what's going on in Jerusalem right now? Pilate's going to send people over here. You need to calm this junk down. And Jesus said, you know what? If these should keep their peace, those stones will cry out. This is a, you don't, you, he didn't say this, but I think the Greek word is idiotos. Um, morons. You have no idea what you just said. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Do you know what's happening on this day and this moment? Do you know how many prophecies are being fulfilled right now in this very moment? You have no idea what you just said. The rocks, nature itself will cry out if these hold their peace. So I grabbed a rock from the road. And, and this is not one of the rocks that was imported from China. I slipped off a little bit and found a place where it was just dirt. And I figure rocks don't walk. So they've probably been there for a long time. Um, so I grabbed a rock from there. To remind me, up on Temple Mount, it's a little scary. First time up there, I was a little nervous. And, and you're, you're standing there, belongs to Israel. The, the Muslims are occupying it. Jordanian government is kind of like the mediators, and they're up there keeping the peace. And the IDF soldiers are at all the entrances ready to come in. And we saw them, didn't we, with the canister guns with canisters of tear gas on their chest like they're ready to take if they need to we'll take well you, you don't want to be peaceful we'll make you peaceful whether you like it or not so i'm up there and i'm a little nervous because they're walking around with big guns in 2017 and so i fake tied my shoe i got down on one knee i'd love to demonstrate for you this morning i got down on one knee and i and i fake tied my shoe because i saw a rock and i bent down and got my knife out and started, no, I'm kidding. I bent down, and in fact, none of these rocks were chiseled from anything, okay? They were all loose where they were. I had, may have had to do this a couple of times, but they were loose where they were. Georgia said there was a piece of mosaic tile that was just laying there like loose. And I said, well, where, where is it? She said, I put it back in place. I said, Georgia, somebody else is going to steal it. You should have stole it. So um, I like rocks. But this one has, it's smooth on one side. It's a piece of the tile that sits up there on Temple Mount. 
And I grabbed it because you know what's going to happen on Temple Mount? One day that, that gaudy golden dome is going to be gone. One day the new temple will be built. One day the, 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 the restoration of Israel will be complete. One day the Messiah is going to return. He's going to sit on the throne of David. I'm excited about these things. Well, why do I have all these rocks? Honestly, none of them have miraculous properties. None of them truly in and of themselves are sacred. I will hurt you if you try to steal one, but uh, none of them are sacred. None of them are, there, there's, there's nothing truly special about the rocks themselves except for the places, the sacred places where they came from. But why do I have them? I do like to give them away. Um, I have rocks I did not bring any with me because they're at the house and I just plain forgot. I've got rocks from the Valley of Elah where, where David defeated Goliath, where God defeated Goliath, um, in, the, in the brook. It's dry. Uh, it's called a wadi. It's, it's dry most of the year. During the rainy season, it, it'll fill up with water and, and the water will channel through there. And if it's still the water channel today, it's always been the water channel. It's the lowest point in the valley. And, and we stood there and we looked around for smooth stones right there in the, in the stream where David would have picked his stones up. And I have stones from the Valley of Elah. And I've got a lot of them. I have a bunch of stones from the Valley of Elah from every trip. You think that I wouldn't pick up anymore because I already have rocks. But no, I found cooler rocks. Every single time I go, I find another rock that I need. And it has to come home with me. Uh, that dude who invented the pet rock all those years ago, I would have been a buyer. I would have definitely been. $4.50 for a pet rock, I bet I will. So, um, <clears throat> how many of you had a pet rock? Okay, thank you. I found two, I found two. Oh, and a, oh, a teenager too, awesome. Um, I, I, I like to give the Valley of Elo rocks away to teenagers. You know, you're gonna have giants come up in your life. Take up, take up the stones and allow God to use you in your life. Don't allow... Don't allow anything to ever defy the armies of the living God. Don't ever, hey, remember there is a cause. Um, so I, I like to give the rocks away. I like to point to them as examples. But in all reality, <clears throat> in all reality, it reminds me of, of these, these places where, where great things happened. Where, where, where Jesus Christ, where God with us walked and interacted on this earth. Um, they're reminders uh, God used a shepherd boy to slay a giant. Um, he, can, he can use us. Um, man, I love Caesarea Philippi. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is, he is God. What a reminder. And then the, la uh, the rock that would cry out if I didn't do my job. If I, was, if I wasn't smarter than a rock, if you will, the rocks will cry out. I'm not going to let a, a rock do my job. That's my job. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to bring him honor and glory uh, with the life he's given to me. Um, in the scripture we've read, <clears throat> the Jordan River, um, uh, if, if you could picture it today, Jordan River is not very wide. At its widest point at this place, it's maybe about 100 feet wide. It's got very distinct banks to it. They slope up a little, but they're very sharp edges. Um, at this point in time, and it doesn't happen anymore in Israel because of the way they control the water, but at this point in time, back in this day, the Jordan River at certain times of the year, and the Bible actually speaks of this, was flooded. It had overflowed its banks. And there are some who say, and, and you can see in some parts of that plain, you can see that water used to be much, much wider 
And at certain times of the year, the Jordan would flood up to almost a, a, a mile wide. It has is, it is, it is exploded over its banks. And now when a river floods its banks, it doesn't flow soft and gentle and tender. It's raging. And so you imagine the children of Israel standing on the banks of the Jordan, and one mile away is the other side. And you can see a little bit further and over, you can see the walls of Jericho, this formidable foe, and they're standing on this side of the Jordan, and somehow they're supposed to take that city over there. They're supposed to cross this river. How do you cross the Jordan, the raging Jordan? And so God said, I know what I'm going to do. I want the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as their feet touch the water, I'm going to stop it. And he did. And the Jordan River stops. And, and you have this wide swath of land now to walk on. And they didn't just walk across on muddy soil. They walked on dry land. So it's not just the fact that the water was dammed up on one side and diverted. No, no, no. God miraculously stopped the waters of the Jordan and dried the land and they walked across it. Um, I can't remember if it's 40 or 50,000 men prepared for war, prepared for battle were crossing. You, know, you, you have a lot of feet going across this land. It's going to get real murky. No, this was dry ground. And as they're crossing over, God tells Joshua, this is a special command for Joshua, I want you to put rocks there at the feet of the priests that are holding the Ark of the Covenant right there in the center of the Jordan. Who gets there and puts rocks there? Nobody. They're just there as a memorial. And then the waters of the Jordan go back over and they go back to their flow because everybody's on the other side and they've all got these stones on their shoulders. And Joshua said, I want you to put these stones down at Gilgal. I want you to set up a memorial of these stones so that, so that when your children, when your children ask, what mean these stones? You can tell them. Now, I want to I pause for a second. I am aware of the time. We'll be out of here by at least 1245, so don't worry. By 1245, that's the limit. Um, I'll make a statement. Because <clears throat> it does specifically state, it does specifically state here that it says in verse number 21, when, when your children shall ask their fathers in time, like, younger generation in here and understand i'm not just talking to teenagers we're talking to spiritually young people as well younger generation you know what we ought to do whenever we're unsure or uncertain of the times in which we're living do you know what we ought to do when we're uncertain or unsure of the things we're actually going through we ought to talk to the older generation we, we, ought, we ought to be reaching out, and there should be connection being made. One of the things we're doing in the youth group in this year, we're going to be having joint activity with the seniors in the church and the teenagers in the church. Those two groups are two of my favorite groups in the church. I've already covered this. I don't want to cover it again, but you're basically the same people because you don't care what anybody thinks, and you'll say whatever you want to. Just basically, you know, I just... I, I, who cares? Like, y'all have the same attitude sometimes. It's hilarious. Um, but so I, I'd love to see what happens when y'all get together. Um, y'all may end up fighting each other, but uh, that would be fun too. I'll sell tickets. But we'll, um, anything to raise money for camp, right? So, uh, uh, but we're going to join those two groups. Why do I want to join those two groups together? Because I want the older generation and the younger generation to know each other. I want the younger generation, when they start to fall on hard times or when things start to happen in their lives and they're trying to serve Jesus Christ and they've, they've surrendered their lives to serve the Lord with their lives and they look and they see a hard path ahead of them, talk to the older generation. I promise you they've been through it. I promise you. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. There is not a hardship that you're going to face that somebody else has not gone through something like it before that can't help you. 
Now, younger people, yes, reach out to the older. It says that when your children shall ask their fathers, you're asking, you're looking, you're seeking, but please, older generation, please do not brush it off. I've, I've heard guys who are in my age category who are getting into pastoring. They're, they're becoming senior pastors for the first time, and they're afraid to call the older generation of pastors and ask them a question. Hey, why, why do we do it this way? I, I'm having a struggle because I'm thinking about doing this. What, what do you think about this? And they're afraid to. Why are they afraid to? Because the old man will be angry at them. Oh, you're just trying to mess up. You're just trying to make... No, no. Older generation now. How about you listen to the questions being asked of you of the younger generation? And here's the, here's the thing. Younger generation asks the older generation. Older generation, you know what your job is? You're supposed to have memorials in your life. You're supposed to have places in your life where the younger generation can look and say, hey, what do you mean when you say this? When you talk about God provides for us. I've read it in the Bible, but I mean, do you have any real life experience with this? Um, we ought to have, we have memorials in our lives. Younger generation should be building memorials now. But man, look to the older generation and listen to them. They've got them. Older generation, have those memorials set up in your life so that the younger generation can look uh, and talk. When, when I was 12 years old, um, <clears throat> I surrendered to call to preach. I'm at summer camp. Uh, uh, I, I know I was saved. I'm sitting there at summer camp. And, and the, the, it, it's typical. It happens every year at summer camp. We always give teenagers an opportunity to let the Lord guide them in what he wants them to do. And I felt very impressed. 12 years old, first time at summer camp, felt very impressed that God wanted me to serve in ministry. I wanted, he wanted me to preach. That's what I felt very strongly. I went up, got counseled with at the camp, came home, counseled in my home church. My pastor there uh, called me his hero. It was hilarious. I'm like, I'm 12 years old. But uh, he, uh, he, he, he was very encouraging is what I mean. He was encouraging to me in, in, that, in that call to ministry and tried to help me and set me up. But here's something that happened. Now that I'm on my, my path of saying, I want to serve the Lord, and understand I'm not saying ministry is the only way you can serve the Lord. Every single person in this room, you are a servant of God. Whatever area you're planted, serve. Whatever area he's got you into work, serve. Doesn't matter if it's ministry or quote-unquote secular work or non-ministry work. You all have ministry. Every one of us have ministry and where we can serve. So, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to distinguish that, but, but here's what I noticed. When I started to get serious about serving the Lord with my life, you know what I noticed? There were a lot of old people around me that were really jaded. They'd been through some hard things. I knew it. I knew they'd been through hard things, but they weren't happy about it. They didn't look back and say, you know what? I got some memorials I can tell you about. They were cynical. And it was almost as though they blamed God for having a hard life. What do you think that does to a young man who wants to serve the Lord with his life? Who wants to surrender and do right with his life and follow God? Oh, I wonder if that grumpy old guy is on the other end of the path that I'm just starting on. I don't want to be a grumpy old guy when I finish serving the Lord with my life. Like I, I, I don't want that to be me. And it started to make me wonder. Like It was discouraging to me as a young man to have this guy who didn't say that they were milestones. He talked about it like being millstones hung around his neck. And, and boy, he was just lower and lower and lower in life because, well, God beats up on him all the time. That, that, Setting up stones in, in life wasn't a new thing to Israel. Jacob set up a pile of stones at Bethel. It set up a pile of stones as a memorial in Bethel, the house of God. This, this, this is the place where I wrestled. This is the place where a covenant was made. This is a place of, of memorial. And you can bet Jacob pointed back to Bethel a lot. 
You can bet that he talked about the pile of stones back in Bethel. Um, uh, uh, Moses commanded that these stones, I talked about that before in Deuteronomy, he commanded that this that took place would happen. Samuel set up a stone uh, when God defeated the Philistine army for them. They had tried twice and lost. And then the third time they're nervous going into battle and God comes before them and destroys the Philistine army in front of them. And Samuel grabbed a big old stone and he plopped it down. And he said, that's Ebenezer, a stone of help. Hitherto hath the Lord led us or helped us. At this point, hey, I'm putting a mile marker in our lives, Israel. This is another place where God has helped us up to this point. Um, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I think there's several categories, and we're going to be done quickly. Several categories where I think that we ought to have memorials. Not one memorial, but in this category, in this category, in this one, each of them should have multiple memorials in our lives where we've set up so that when the younger generation can come back and say, hey, what? What mean these stones? What are you talking about when you say that? What happened? You've told a story about this thing happening in your life. What, I mean, what, what was the result of it? What was the end? Um, what stones are there in your life on the other side of it? The first area that I think we could have memorial stones is, is number one, God's grace in times of grief. First place that my mind goes to when I think about God providing through hardship is grief. And I think a lot of us may go to the same place. The first place where I think of hardship in my life typically goes to a place of grief, a place where I've gone through something that caused grief. Uh, great sorrow, great loss, great pain. Uh, those, those make great, and I mean in size and, and, and how massive they are, great memory. I mean, you, it's seared into your mind, the sorrow and the pain and the grief that you've gone through. But what about the grace of God in the midst of it? What about the grace of God through it as we go through times of great grief? Um, uh, I, I think of, of Paul in 2 Corinthians, he said in 12, 7 through 9, he said, lest, uh, it, it, in, in, in lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I sought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul speaks again and says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can I say this to you right now without being unfair to the Scripture? It's nice to read, but it's even nicer to hear when you've lived through it. It's nice to hear, hey, this promise is found in Scripture. God said, my grace is sufficient, but I can tell you times in my life when it was. I can explain to you and tell you, here's a set of stones in my life where, where I needed something. And, and a lot of times when we're in the midst of grief or loss, we don't know what we need. When, when I go to the hospital to visit somebody who's going through some loss or going through some hard times, I, I, I try to steer away from this one question. What is it that you need? Because I can tell you right now, as much as I don't know, they don't know what they need. I, they don't know. Um, I, what do we need in times of grief? We need his grace. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. On the other side of grief, did you see his grace? Can you look back and see his grace? Can you set up memorial stones in time of grief where you can see the grace of God? Um, I remember when Jefferson was born, and, 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 and this is the first time that me and Georgia have, had ever went through anything that was like difficult. Like we'd never really gone through anything tough or any times of fear or, or 
uncertainty that was like pretty good amount of like, we don't know what's going to happen and I'm kind of afraid of what could happen type of fear. He was born and he was going to be born like any normal kid. He was full term. He's a big baby, uh, fully developed. Everything's fine. He's not a preemie or anything like that. He just, he just comes like every baby, uh, like Jackson and Reagan had done before. But after he was born, he started making this grunting noise. As he exhaled, he grunted. And it would, he didn't, so we thought, oh, that's adorable. We're going to take video of this. And the nurses in the room said, that's not adorable. It's a bad sign. It's not a good thing. I mean, his lungs are not opening and staying open. He's having to grunt to put force against those lungs to keep them open. And this did not happen in the moment, okay, because that would have been really rude of the NICU nurses. But uh, what we learned eventually is if he kept doing that and they didn't help him, he would have given up. He would have stopped trying. He would have gotten too tired and just exhausted himself, and he would have died. He would have suffocated. And, and so we didn't know that in the moment. NICU said, we're going to take him back. We're just going to look at him. No big deal. So they wheel him away down to the NICU. I, how many fathers have to be younger ones who like the babies were born recently when you weren't in the waiting room smoking a cigar while the wife was out. But like where, when, when the baby came out, everywhere they took him or her, I followed I would like, the nurse would be like, we're just going to take him down to the nursery. All right, let's go. And I would follow them everywhere we went. And I followed them to the NICU. And they wouldn't let me go through the doors in the NICU because I wasn't scrubbed in. You had to scrub, you had to do full surgical scrubbing to go into the NICU. And I, I, I hadn't done it, so they wouldn't let me back immediately. So I stopped at the doors as he went through. And I thought, it's going to be okay. They just said they needed to check him. You know, I didn't think it's a little unusual they have to check him in the NICU. When we went back there, Jefferson ultimately ended up being completely intubated. He was on the uh, uh, ventilator. It was breathing for him at points in time. He ended up with an IV in his forehead because he wouldn't leave the IVs alone that we put everywhere else. And, and we, were, we were scared. Like, we, were, we were scared. I'm thankful for the Ronald McDonald house because we were actually able to stay there because we lived a county over in Canyon County and he was in Ada. They actually let us stay in the Ronald McDonald house right by the hospital and be able to go over. Let me tell you something. We were scared. We were concerned. You know what was going on during that time? And I do remember watching the debate between Obama and Mitt Romney, if you call it a debate, um, where Romney helped Obama win. But uh, the, the, um, like we didn't really, I was annoyed but we didn't really care. Like, a nuclear warhead could have dropped in Miami, Florida. We wouldn't care. We, we were focused, laser focused on what was going on in our life. Right at that time, we, we didn't know what was going to happen, honestly, because for days he went downhill. For days he digressed. And every single update we got was bad. It, it, he's, he, well, it, it, we, we had to they had him on nasal cannula and they put a full mask and then it was a CPAP and then it was intubation. And we were like, he's not supposed to, you're not supposed to be breathing for him. And we keep giving him surfactant, a, 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 a material going to his lungs to help coat them and, and help them to stay inflated and it's not working. We keep giving him more. Uh, and we're nervous. We're scared. But can I tell you this? Because like, that's a time of fear. That's a time of sorrow for what could come. You, that's when Satan starts whispering lies. That's when he starts to come in in the dark times when we're afraid and we're concerned and we don't know what's going to happen, what the next step is. When he starts calling into question, hath God said, is he really good? Does he really love you? When we started reading our Bibles, when we started praying, 
and we started seeing things come off the page, the promises of God. You know, we started setting up memorial stones. And I'm not going to go into I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hurry. But I got to tell you that I said that was the first thing we ever went through. We've been through things since then, you know. Two miscarriages. McKinley Ann was born November 3rd, 2015. This is after Jefferson, after being in the NICU, and, and that's the, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to us. And she lived for just over two hours, or just over an hour, and she died right there in our arms. You want to talk about grief? You want to talk about whispers of lies of Satan? Do you know partially what helped us to get through? We were able to look back at some stones. I remember, I remember the help that he was to us. I remember the grace of God through grief. You know, one more thing before we move to the next one. There's people that have come across our lives who have gone through miscarriages, who have gone through children in the NICU, who have gone through losing a child, that have come to us and said, hey, don't you have a pile of stones there somewhere that you can tell us about? Can you tell us about them? George has been able to talk to mothers who were going through the exact same problems that Georgia was going through when McKinley was developing. She's able to help them. She's able to talk to them. Hey, hey, let me show you some stones. Let me tell you about how he can help you through times of grief. Um, we should have those set up. And the next thing, and we'll hurry, is God's power through prayer. His power through prayer. Prayer so many times takes a back seat in our lives. So many times we don't think to pray until we need something, Right? Like we just we come up to a, a need and we're like, ah, oh, now it's time to pray. It gets neglected. In reality, a pastor said this before that prayer is our access to the omnipotence of God. When we we access the throne room of God. We ask Him for help. It's our access to omnipotence. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't mean we are omnipotent. And thank God we're not omnipotent, please, because we're not omniscient either. We need, we need him to have his omniscience involved in this omnipotence thing. But we pray and ask the most powerful and most loving creator God um, for things. Um, while we were there, um, um, while we were there with Jefferson, we... We, uh, we, we saw a, a roommate in there, his name Titus, and we started praying for Titus. You know, we're in the midst of a hard thing. We're going to go ahead and pray for the kid that's with, uh, with Jefferson in the NICU. We don't know him, know anything about him. We ended up meeting Titus's parents, Megan and Troy, uh, the next morning and told him, just said, hey, you know, I hope it's okay. We've been praying for little Titus. And their eyes lit up and they said, are y'all Christians? We said, yeah, we're Christians. They're Christians too. We've been praying for Jefferson. So we started swapping prayer requests. Here's Titus's list of things he's got to get done before he can leave the NICU. They built this uh, caterpillar thing. Here's Jefferson's list, and we traded lists. And you know what we started doing? We started trading answers. Hey, you can mark the top three things off the list. They all got covered last night. Hey, y'all can mark the top four things. Titus has made super big strides. God's answers to prayer as we prayed. Keep a prayer journal. Those are memorial stones. Answered. 416 2023 how cool is that to look back at a prayer journal and see answers all throughout it um uh, uh when i was a little boy i was like four years old i went fishing with my parents and it was late at night because the tide was going to turn and in this magic hour you're supposed to catch a lot of fish a lot of trout normally it worked but it didn't work this time and i was a bratty little four-year-old was ready to go home and so i started whining i want to go home i'm tired i want to go home and dad said we're not going home until we catch a fish and so i prayed I bowed my head silently. And as a four-year-old little boy, I said, God, please help us catch fish. And I do remember 
the, the event. I remember bowing and praying, praying. And mom said, as soon as I said, because I audibly said, amen, mom said, as soon as you said that, we started catching fish, like left and right, like drop a, a, a almost like you can drop a bear hook in the water and they were, they were biting, like catching fish. No, I will not go fishing with you, okay? So I know what you're thinking. Um, and so I said, you know, it's a few minutes later, I'm, I'm tired, can we go home? I want to go home. And dad said, not while we're catching fish like this. So I prayed, and we stopped catching fish. Uh, moral of that story, I don't want to go fishing, okay? So uh, that's the moral. Don't, don't, don't get anything else out of that. I mean, we ought to have memorial stones in our lives so we can point back and say, you know, God does answer prayer. You know, a lot of times, and I've talked about prayer before, a lot of times we think prayer doesn't work, when in reality it's because we're not praying. We're, we're not praying. We're not, we're not praying as though it actually does rely on God. As though it actually, if he doesn't, it won't. We're not praying. Start keeping a journal of answered prayers in your lives. Start setting up memorial stones so you can help the next generation to know, yes, he does answer prayer. Yes, he does work miracles. The thing about Diana, he does work miracles. Just keep praying. Um, the next one, last one, God's bountiful blessings. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If he's supplying your needs according to his riches, I don't think he's limited very much. I just, I just don't think he has an issue if your need is too great. There's no such thing. Uh, owns the cattle on a thousand hills and owns the hills the cattle are on. Um, one of the times Georgia was traveling down to see me in Florida, we were, we were still dating or we had just gotten engaged, don't remember. But she's going down to Florida, and I think it was on the trip back. Uh, she sat by this nosy good for nothing. And she asked Georgia, what are you doing? She said, well, I was traveling to see my boyfriend or fiance and she, fiance. So she said, uh, she said, oh, well, congratulations. What does he do? And Georgia said, well, he's a pastor. And the woman recoiled. Oh, honey, don't marry him. You'll be poor the rest of your life. Now, do you understand why I said she was a nosy good for nothing? I think actually in the Bible, the word is heifer, um, but I, I don't know her. I don't know the lady. But I hope she gets saved because there's no way she was the way she was rude about me. But nosy, just keep, keep your nose out of my business. So, uh, and was she wrong, Georgia? No, so uh, uh, Georgia's like, well, my dad's a pastor, so I, I think I'll be okay. Like, I, I, I know we're not going to be wealthy. Um, but uh, but that, anyhow, I wish people would just mind their dadgum business. That, we're done. I, that was it. I just needed to get her to mind her business. No, you know, there's God's bountiful blessings in our lives. This is the one that's fun. These are fun memorial stones to set up because every step of the way when we got married, when we moved out to Idaho, we can look back and there are stone markers. Hey, you know the house we lived in was waterfront property? Okay, it was a creek that ran behind the... It was still waterfront property and during one of the uh, uh, tropical storms, Tropical Storm Fay, it almost became underwater property because that creek rose. You ever heard that if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise? The creek rose, uh, and we rebuked it, uh, and it wouldn't stop. But they, uh, the, we're, we're in this house, like the rent was 500 bucks, and it covered everything, everything. And you know how much I made? $501. No, I, like it was what we needed in the time we needed it. We had a car. We moved out here. We got a house. We had no way of moving out here. This church provided. We moved out here and got a house. We got a car. We got a refrigerator. That's, who would think about a refrigerator? Me. Uh, we, but like every step of the way, you know, in the house lease was going up and they weren't going to let us continue leasing the house. 
they wouldn't let us go to a month to month because they were selling it. Um, and I prayed that God would burn the house down. No, I didn't. Uh, th- th- they were selling the house and we were looking for a house. We now need to buy a house. With what money? I don't know, but we need to buy a house. And we found a house and every single step of the way throughout our entire lives, we can look back and say, God provided, God provided, God provided. We have sets of stones in our lives because we know people who are just starting off and we're going to say, God's going to provide. I'm actually jealous of you because you've got things in your future where you're going to get to see the Lord provide every step of the way. Set up stones in your life, memorial stones, so that the next generation can say, what mean these stones? Psalm 3410, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Those are nice verses to read. They're even better when they're applied to a set of stones in your life where you say, look at this. Look at where he provided. He, he's telling the truth. I will, you will not want any good thing. What mean, what mean these stones? Um, I think we ought to have memorial stones alive. Let's bow our heads and, uh, and, and we'll close um, in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you for what you've given to us and thank you for your word and, and how you spoke. I pray that you would just help us this morning. Um, Lord, set up memorials in our lives so that so that younger generations can know what these stones mean, so we can point and say, you're a God of the, a provision, you're a God of blessing, you're a God that answers prayer. Uh, I just pray you would bless us this morning as we go our way, give us safety, uh, be with Pastor and Nathan and Susie as they're traveling, be with their trip. Um, bless those that are traveling tomorrow, and uh, uh, bring us back safe on Wednesday night. Bless the series, Lord, through Jude. In Christ's name, amen.